All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, it's good to be with you today. Uh, my name is Jason. I have the privilege of serving uh, as a lead pastor here at Citizens. Um, if this is your first time or you're visiting, just want to echo what DC said, really want to welcome you, invite you to hang out with us at the info table after the service. Uh, we'd love to get to know you and help you get plugged into our community. Um, we are continuing our year-long sermon series uh, called Childlike Wonder, where we are preaching through every story in the Jesus Storybook Bible, and today we're looking at one of the most deeply cherished and beloved stories in all of Scripture, the story of David and Goliath. Okay, it's one of those stories that's almost transcended Christianity. It's made its way into popular culture. Uh, we use it as a metaphor for pretty much everything. Uh, it's your classic archetype in film and literature and sports. I think there's just something about our culture that loves underdog stories. We love watching the little guy beat the big guy. Uh, we love watching movies where like the unassuming nerd humiliates the bully. Um, and there's just something about this story uh, that's so compelling and that's really inspired our collective imagination. Um, but I think for a lot of us, the story ends with pretty much just being about a boy, a little boy who slays a giant with a sling and a stone. Um, but when you read actually 1 Samuel 17, uh, you realize that this story is actually so much more than that. And so my hope is that we would glean some new insight today uh, into what this story means as we revisit it with fresh eyes. And so uh, we're just going to read one part of the story. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to go with me to 1 Samuel 17, we're just going to look at verses 32 to 50. Um, but I'm going to be referencing verses um, you know, th from the whole chapter throughout the sermon. Um, but right now we're just going to read... Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 32 to 50. Let's give our full attention to God's word. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. 
This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Amen. I mean, let me say a prayer for us as we jump into God's word here. Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Would you open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts to receive what you would have for us today. We entrust this time and our lives into your loving hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, the story of David and Goliath comes uh, just one chapter after David is anointed as the next king of Israel, which we talked about last week. And one thing that's very interesting to note is that any time in the Bible people are set apart to do God's work, it's almost always immediately followed by some kind of adversity or resistance, right? Right after God uh, frees the Israelites from 400 years of slavery in Egypt to set them apart as his people, where do they find themselves? In the wilderness for the next 40 years. Right after Jesus is baptized, a voice from heaven says, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Immediately we read that the spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After the birth of the church, one chapter after the birth of the church in the book of Acts, we get the first persecution of the church. You see, it's one thing to receive a calling in your life, but that calling has to be tested. They say you can't really call yourself a CEO until you've had to fire someone you love. They say that you can't really call yourself an actor until you, you've experienced your first rejection. They say you can't call yourself a parent until you've had to care for a sick child or un until you've had to have a child fall down in the middle of a target and throw a temper tantrum, right? Because the good times are great, but we know that it's the bad times that test our calling and refine our character. It's the hard times. It's the moments you have to face a situation, a problem, a Goliath that you know can near kill you. And so the first thing I want to say is that if you are in a season of adversity in your life, or if you are encountering some kind of pain or problem that feels overwhelming, I want you to know today that these are often the very moments God is shaping and molding you to be the person he has called you to be. God chose David to be king in 1 Samuel 16, and in 1 Samuel 17, he says, now I have to begin to make you into one. And so I want to start by asking a question. Who or what are the giants in your life that loom large? What are the things that keep you up at night? What obstacles stand in the way of you becoming the person you want to be? What are the fears, what are the insecurities that are crippling you, the things that feel too heavy for you to carry? You see, giants, they come in all shapes and sizes. For some of us, Goliath is an actual person a boss, a family member, a coworker, who's just a thorn in our side. For some of us, Goliath is a situation. 
Maybe you lost your job recently and now you're not sure how you're going to provide for your family. Maybe you started a new business or you launched a new venture and you're not sure if you actually made the right decision because things are looking bleak. Maybe you're navigating a divorce. Maybe you're struggling with singleness. Maybe it's an ongoing battle with depression or an addiction. Whatever it is, one thing is guaranteed. At some point, all of us will face a Goliath in our lives that poses a threat to our security, our peace, our identity. And the question this story helps us to answer is, how do we face Goliath when he shows up? Because he will show up. Now, 1 Samuel 17 opened. We didn't read the beginning of the chapter, but it opens with a description of a battle between Israel and their sworn enemies, the Philistines. You have uh, Israel on one side and Israel lined up on the other. I think about the scene from the movie Troy where you have these two huge armies uh, lined up right in front of each other, and each side, uh, a representative steps forward. Bogrius on one side, Achilles on the other. It's this epic scene, and each person is basically fighting on behalf of their army. And whoever wins that fight basically wins the battle for the entire army. Well, this is what you have happening in 1 Samuel 17. One man walks out from the Philistine camp as a representative, and his name is Goliath. And at the beginning of the chapter, we get a long, detailed description of Goliath's physical features. We read that his height was six cubits and a span. Uh, Nobody knows exactly how tall that is, but most Jewish scholars believe that was about eight feet. We read that just his armor alone weighed almost 130 pounds. We read that he had bronze on his legs. We read that he had a bronze javelin. We read that he had a spear where just the tip of the spear alone was almost 15 pounds. So this is a guy that looks the part of a warrior and a champion. He has all the external qualities of a killer. And we read that when the Israelites saw him, they trembled in fear. And it's so interesting, right? Because just one chapter ago, the chapter we looked at last week, God says the Lord doesn't look at the outward appearance. The Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. People people look at the resume virtues, but God looks at the eulogy virtues. And yet even then, the Israelites, they can't take their eyes off the external. They still think it's the external that wins battles. They've just watched David the runt, be anointed as king, and yet they're on the battlefield and they're like, there's no way we can defeat this giant. In the same way, I think we can go to church, we can be in a small group, we can do religious activities, and yet we can still think that it's what's on the outside that's going to get us through life's battles. That it's our appearance, our pedigree, our resume, our wealth, our career that's going to get us through life. And so the Israelites, they see this giant and they're terrified. And we read that day after day, he comes out and he taunts them, right? You see, the problem with the Goliaths in our lives is that they're ongoing, okay? They don't just come out once. They come out day after day, and they won't leave us alone, right? Oftentimes, you have a problem with a family member, and you're like, why is it that every month there's some occasion where I have to see this family member over and over again? You have a problem with your boss, and it's not just one day. You have to see that boss every single day. You have a problem, you're struggling with singleness. And for some reason, every time you open up social media, it's another post, we're engaged, right? And you have to comment, congrats, so happy for you, okay? When we know you're not happy, 
Goliaths do not let up. And we read in verse 16 that for 40 days, Goliath comes out and he taunts the Israelites. And he says, I'll fight any of y'all. Bring out your best person. I'll fight him. If he beats me, we'll all become your subjects. Now, what's very funny when you read this story is that Saul, who is still technically the king of Israel, so David's already been anointed as the next king, but Saul is still the king. They're in this kind of transitional period. Saul is actually on the battlefield. And even Saul is terrified. Even Saul sees Goliath and he's like, I'm not going anywhere near this guy which only goes to further expose Saul's lack of character. Because if anyone should have stepped forward, it should have been Saul. Not only was he a head taller than everyone else, so he was probably one of the few people who could have even physically matched Goliath, but he was the king. Being a king is not just about getting the glory. It's about taking responsibility for those entrusted to your care. You see, the difference between good leaders and bad leaders is that when crap hits the fan, the bad leaders immediately rush to protect themselves. They immediately rush to throw everyone else under the bus. They blame shift. They're the victim. Good leaders step forward, and they willingly put themselves in harm's way to protect those under them. I love watching post-game interviews with quarterbacks after their team lost, because a lot of times you see what kind of a leader they are. You have some quarterbacks who say, yeah, I mean, I had a good game, but we just had too many penalties on the defensive side. Or I didn't really agree with the play calling in the end. I don't know what the refs were doing. Um, you know, I think our secondary really has to be shored up for the next game. Then you have some quarterbacks after they lose. It doesn't matter if they had the greatest game. They say, don't look at anyone else. This loss is my responsibility. It doesn't matter if I had a great game. It doesn't matter if I, if I threw for however many yards. This is my responsibility. You see, Saul, he didn't have the inner character to go with the external attributes. So the moment he encountered someone who had more impressive external attributes than he did, he was like, nope, I'm not fighting him. Because Saul put all his security and hope in his externals. He meets a Goliath that has better externals, and he's like, I have no business fighting him. And it's funny, right, because Goliath turn Saul into a crazy person. By the end, Saul is like, if you go, anyone who goes out and fights Goliath and wins, you can marry my daughter. You don't have to pay taxes ever, okay? This is what Goliaths do. They make us crazy, right? Goliaths, our fears, they'll get us dating the wrong person that we probably shouldn't be dating. They get us to make compromises and make decisions that we probably shouldn't be making. They get us to take careers and take opportunities that we probably shouldn't be taking. But you see, when you find your identity and your security and your popularity, your wealth and your achievements, and you spend all your time building these things, the moment you encounter a challenge that is beyond your popularity and your wealth and your achievements, you're screwed because you've put all your eggs in that basket. So the question is, what do we do when we, like the Israelites, face a situation or an enemy that feels too big to overcome, when the strategies that have always worked for us fail, when they don't seem to be enough, well, enter David in the story, and I want you to pay very close attention to everything that happens before David even gets to Goliath, because all of it is relevant to how David faces Goliath 
when he finally encounters him. The first principle is this, that David is faithful to the ordinary. He's faithful to the ordinary. You know what David is doing at the beginning of this story? He's not on the battlefield with his brothers. He's tending sheep again. We read last week that before he was anointed as king, he was tending sheep. But the crazier thing is after he was anointed as king, he goes back to tending sheep. The fact that he's been chosen to be king over Israel doesn't change his faithfulness to the small things. He doesn't change because he gets famous. He doesn't treat people differently now that he's big time, though he had every right to. And while he's tending sheep, his father Jesse tells David in verse 17, hey, I want you to go deliver some food to your brothers. I want you to go check in on your brothers. There's this cheese. I want you to take this cheese to the commanders of the unit, okay? And it's like Jesse, his dad, he's so savage, right? Because it's, he still doesn't believe in his son. Um, like last week, we looked at the fact that he didn't even bring him to the coronation service. He brought all of his other sons, left Jesse at home because he's uh, left um, David at home. He's like, there's no way it could be David. David has been anointed. He's been chosen as king. And Jesse's still like, just keep tending sheep. DoorDash for your brothers. Take this cheese to the commanders of the unit. Probably not a good idea for you to go to war. David had every right in that moment to be like, bruh, I'm the next king. Why am I doing this? And yet when you read the story, in the next line it says, early in the morning David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He's like, whatever you need me to do, dad, I got it. And it's while David is doing the small task asked of him that he finds himself standing in front of Goliath. God sets David up for one of the most epic moments in the Bible while David was carrying out what seemed like one of the most insignificant tasks. Friends, do not despise the ordinary because it's often in our faithfulness to the ordinary that God is building muscles for future seasons of our lives. I tell this story often, but there was a time in my life, in my early 20s, I committed to writing a song every week, okay? Most of the songs were bad, horrible, never saw the light of day. But I still did it because I believed in that season, that was what God was calling me to do. Didn't see much fruit, forgot I even did that. Fast forward over a decade later, I'm now lead pastor of Citizens. Three months into being the lead pastor, I'm having coffee with a friend and I'm complaining to him. I'm like, he's like, how is it going? I'm like, it is so hard. It's so hard to preach every week. I'm 36 years old. I have two young kids. I'm too old to learn a new craft. Like, why, did, why has God put me in this place? You know, like all my other friends, pastor friends, they've been preaching for over a decade. They went straight to seminary, right out of college. They have all these reps. It's taking me so long to write a sermon. It's taking me like 30 hours a week just to prep a sermon. And my friend goes, okay, what, what goes into sermon prep? And I say, well, first of all, I have to study a text back and front. I have to do all my research. But the longest, the part that takes me the longest is how to take that text and have it meaningfully connect with the people in our church. How do I take God's story that is like so complex and so big and on a week-to-week -week basis really make it connect with what people are going through in our congregation? And on a whim, my friend says, oh, so you're like writing a song every week. 
And it was like a light bulb in my mind. And it was like God saying, I did prepare you for this. You didn't know what you were doing, and you didn't know what muscles I was building, but you were faithful to the small things. Over a decade later, here's the fruit. Changed the way I viewed sermon prep, changed the way I viewed my job, and it changes the way I view everything that I do, even the things that feel insignificant. Why do you think David was so good with a sling and a stone? He didn't just get lucky. He practiced every day while protecting his flock. Every day he's using that thing. Not knowing, he had no idea that one day he's going to use it on a giant. He had no idea he was going to use it as a representative of the Israelite army. He's just being faithful to the small. Parents, I know right now your life feels like rinse and repeat over and over and over again. Those muscles you build, though, when you're waking up in the middle of the night to feed your kids, when you're having to multitask constantly, do not underestimate what God can and will use those muscles for. We have two staff members on our team with four kids. They are superhuman now. Like, they have now reached a level of, like, superhumanness, okay? Nothing phases them because they have four kids. On Easter Sunday, when everyone else is running around with their heads, like, look like chickens with their head cut off, Staff members of four kids, they're like, Easter? We got four kids. This is nothing. You have no idea how God is going to use these seemingly insignificant tasks to build muscles for the future. So be faithful to the small. That's the first principle. The second principle I want us to glean here is the importance of knowing who you've been created to be. Knowing who you've been created to be, because if you don't know who you are, you will crumble in the face of criticism and comparison. Let me explain this. In the story, David sees Goliath. He's like, okay, what's going on? And the Israelites, they tell him, look, there's this giant. He's threatening us. No one's willing to step up to him. And David's brother, Eliab, I don't know if you remember him from last week, his oldest brother, Eliab, who's eavesdropping on this conversation, butts in, and he's furious. And he says to David, why are you even here? Go back to your flock. You're conceited. You're wicked. You have no business on the battlefield. And clearly, Eliab has a chip on his shoulder, most likely because he wasn't the one anointed as king. He was the tallest brother. He was the oldest brother. He was absolutely had all the external qualities to be king. Samuel goes right over him, and now he's clearly pissed. A lot of times, the most critical people in your life are the most insecure people. And these people often project those insecurities on you. And by making you feel small, it makes them feel good because they don't have what you have. A lot of times it's fueled by jealousy. This is Eliab. But because David knows who he is, he doesn't let his brother's criticism deter him. A lot of people would have. But he brushes it off. He moves on only to have to face another test. This is all before he even gets to Goliath. He has to face another test, Saul. David turns to Saul. He's like, let me go fight this Philistine. To which Saul replies, you can't do it because you're a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. The second person to tell David he can't do it because he's too young. He's not experienced enough. He doesn't have what it takes. 
I'm sure many of us have heard those things. You're too young, you're too old, you're past your prime, you still have many years to go, you need more experience. But I love what David says to Saul. He doesn't deny anything Saul says. He doesn't say, but I am old enough, or I am a warrior. You know what he says? He says, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. David's like, you're right. I am young. I'm not a warrior. But I do know what I am. I'm a shepherd. You see, David knows who he is and who he's not. And he's not afraid to embrace it, which is what allows him to move forward. So Saul is like, all right, you want to go out there? Put this on. And we read that Saul gives David his tunic, his armor, puts a bronze helmet on his head. And it's a very comical image because Saul is clearly way bigger than David. And so the armor doesn't fit. And David is walking around with his armor that doesn't fit him. And David is like, I can't do this. You know, I can't wear this. And instead, he takes his staff in his hand, five stones and a sling, and he walks out onto the battlefield. Friends, the worst thing you could do is try to wear someone else's armor. The worst thing you could do is try to be someone you're not. Social media often makes you think you have to be a certain kind of parent or a certain kind of artist or fit a certain kind of mold in order to be successful. But the greatest gift you can give to those around you is to show up as your authentic self. This is something I've had to learn, as in, particularly as an Asian American leader, who for my whole life, I was told to, like, my identity was a crutch. So it's like, if you want to make it in this world, you have to talk more white. You have to lead more white. And you have to fit a certain kind of mold. And I used to beat myself a lot up in the, in, in the early days of my ministry because I couldn't preach like my heroes. I couldn't lead like the people that I thought represented good leadership. And only recently have I begun to realize that the best gift I can give to this church is to show up as my authentic self. To use my voice and be who God has called me to be, not who I think I need to be. If David tries to go out in Saul's armor, he's a dead man. We have a generation of people right now trying to fight in someone else's armor. No wonder anxiety is out the roof. Because we cannot be anyone but ourselves. David says, thank you. I'm going to take this armor off. I'm going to go the only way I know how. Give me my staff, give me my stones, and give me my sling. David knows who he is and who he's not. Now you read this story, and there's a great temptation to marvel at David. It's like, wow, are there teenagers like this out there? So brave, so fearless, that would just walk out on a battlefield and slay this giant. But the more I read this story, the more I don't know that that's completely accurate. If I had to bet on it, I can't know for sure, but if I had to bet on it, I would bet David was terrified. He was young. He was a lot smaller than Goliath. 
Not only that, he was carrying all the pressure of being anointed as Israel's next king, and this was his first test. He knew all eyes were on him, and everyone in the Israelite army was like, really, this guy? He's going to be the next, next king? Let's see what he's got. So I think David is trembling as he's walking out onto the battlefield. So then the question is, what gives David the ability to do what nobody else, including Saul, was willing to do? And I think the answer is found in two places in the story. The first is in verses 25 to 26. When David gets to the front lines and he asks the Israelites, what's going on? They tell him, there's this man, Goliath, who keeps coming out to defy Israel. In the very next line, David responds and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who's come out to defy the living God? The Israelites see Goliath as a threat to Israel. David sees Israel, uh, sees Goliath as a threat to God. David's perspective is fundamentally different from that of the Israelites. The reason nobody stepped forward to fight the giant was that they were all looking to themselves to be their own savior. But David was looking to God to save him. What gave David the ability to face his fear was that he understood that he was not in control of his destiny. God was. He knew there was nothing in his life that was by his own doing, that everything was an act of God's grace and his faithfulness. In verse 37, he says, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. I didn't rescue myself from the paw of the lion. I didn't rescue myself from the bear. God did. That wasn't me. That was all God. So what makes me think God won't rescue me from this Philistine today? And this is why David can say with confidence in verse 45, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. David is saying, if I were the one fighting you, of course I would be worried about your javelin and your spear and your armor. But I'm not the one fighting you. I come in the name of the Lord. Friends, if we look to our own strength to save us, we will not be able to face the Goliaths in our lives. But if we would acknowledge our weakness and look to God's strength to save us, it gives us the confidence to face any giant that comes our way. At the end of the day, the big meta theme of 1 Samuel 17 is this. The Israelites needed a representative to step forward and fight Goliath on their behalf so that they could experience the future God had promised to them. David's victory was Israel's victory. But you see, this battle was just a shadow of a greater battle taking place in the cosmos where you have humanity on one side and Satan on the other. Hurling accusations, hurling lies, hurling false narratives, taunting us day and night, threatening our freedom and our identity. And in the same way that David was a substitute who fought on behalf of God's people, you and I needed a substitute to fight on our behalf because we didn't have the resources to win the battle on our own. And so what does God do? He sends his only begotten son who the Bible refers to as the son of David. And he sends his son into the battlefield. And Jesus, like David, does not walk onto the battlefield with a sword or a spear. 
In fact, he doesn't even walk onto the battlefield with a sling. Jesus' weapon of choice is sacrifice. It's sacrifice. The way Jesus slayed the giant was by laying his own life down. And when Jesus hung on the cross, everyone on his side thought he lost. They said, that was the guy? That was our champion? What of us now? Not realizing that three days later, Jesus would rise from the grave, victorious, conquering sin and death once and for all. And now for those who have placed their trust in him, his victory is your victory. When Jesus wins, we all win. This is what you and I get to look back on every time we face a Goliath that seems unbeatable, that we have a God who conquered the greatest Goliath of all, fighting for us and with us. Let me pray for us. I want to give us a moment to respond to the word today as we think through the Goliath or Goliaths in our lives that won't seem to go away, that problem or that person or that pain, that area of your life that feels overwhelming, that feels so heavy of a burden for you to carry. And I want to give us a moment to do exactly what David did. He didn't just try to muster his own strength. He looked back. He said, God rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. What makes me think he would not rescue me from this Goliath? And I want to give us an opportunity to do that as well. That we would look back even on this past year of our lives and that we would call out God's faithfulness, the ways that God showed up that we might have forgotten about, the ways that God showed up in uncertainty and he rescued us. Let's just take a moment to do that. Gracious God, we acknowledge that this world is a scary place. There are giants everywhere, giants that threaten our peace and our well-being, giants that threaten the well-being of those we love, giants that threaten the well-being of our city and our world. And oftentimes, when our perspective is self-centered, it's so easy for us to be crushed by these fears, 
But we thank you for this great reminder once again that we don't have to face all of these things with our own strength, but that we have a Lord of hosts who fights on our behalf. We rely on your strength. As we read today, so your strength is, is made perfect in our weakness. Your grace is sufficient for us. We thank you for this beautiful reminder today. So God, whatever Goliath we may face or whatever Goliath we may be facing right now, we pray that we would cling to Jesus. We would cling to your life, your death, and your resurrection, knowing that you are victorious. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're able, I'm going to invite us to stand and let's respond um, with these two songs of praise. Let's worship together.